Turn with me in God's holy words to 2 Kings chapter 19, a passage we read earlier, 2 Kings chapter 19, and our text this evening will be that passage we read, beginning with verse number 20, all the way down to the end of the chapter. Verse number 20, then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Amen. And we're going to be looking at this text of God's holy word under this title, Prayer Answered for God's Glory. Prayer Answered for God's Glory. When we think of prayer being answered, what do we often think of? I'm sure we think of those people we pray for who are sick, who are ill. And the Lord wonderfully answers our prayer. Or perhaps we know people who are lost and do not know the Lord. You pray for them. And wonderfully, the Spirit of God works in their heart bringing them out of darkness, bringing them into sweet union and communion with Jesus Christ. The Lord hears our prayers. Or we could put it another way. God says yes to the thing that we ask him. But there's also a sense in which the Lord answers 
all of our prayers? There is a sense, isn't there? The answer may not always be the same. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is not now. Actually, it's usually the last one, isn't it? Not now. We wait upon the Lord. Not knowing when. We may pray for something for many, many years. Wondering if we will see the fruit of that prayer come to light. We may never even know the sight of eternity. If our prayers have been answered. But the Lord answers prayer. We are to wait upon the Lord because we know that his way is better than ours, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. God's ways are better than ours. It's a wonderful thing that he's in control and we're not. Because, friends, we would make a mess of it, wouldn't we? The Lord is most wise, most true. He is good, loving, and he will answer prayer in the best way. The most perfect way, the wisest way, the most holy way. But we're going to look at this evening, why does God answer prayer at all? Why does God even say yes to any of our prayer requests at all? Why does he say yes to our cries? Now, there can be many, many reasons that we could mention. Things that we'll never comprehend this side of eternity. But there's a one great reason that we all know of from the pages, the pages of Scripture. What is it? The glory of God. What God does in creating the world, in answering our prayers, in saving our souls, has one major, wonderful goal. The glory of God. This is why he answers prayer. This is why he is answered here, Hezekiah's prayer. Last Thursday evening, we looked at verses 1 to 19. Hezekiah, this king of Judah, he's brought into distress. And why is he in distress? He hears the mocking. He hears the ridicule. He hears the threats of the Assyrian Empire. Through Rabshakeh coming from Sennacherib. All the other kingdoms have fallen that have stood in the way of the Assyrian Empire. Now, this is the most powerful empire upon the face of the earth at that time. The first, you could say, of the great empires, this Assyrian Empire. And it would have really brought dread and distress and the message of the Assyrian Empire is this, we're too strong. Do not trust in the Lord. But praise God, Hezekiah did trust in the Lord. He cries out to the Lord in prayer. Distress brought him to the point of prayer. And wonderfully, we see the answer to that prayer. In verse number, nine, verse number 20, at the end of that verse, it says, I have heard. I have heard. In distress, the Lord has heard his prayer. Why? For his glory. For his glory. Our first point that we're going to look at in these texts is this. Number one, his word. His word. God answers according to his word. 
Now that's very important. You could also put it another way, according to his promises. What God promises and says he will do, he will infallibly, inerrantly, without fail, without blemish, he will do it all. As it says in verse 20, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word of the Lord, hath spoken concerning him. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, are you a man, a woman, a child of your word? Do you ever hear said of someone, he's a man of his word? What does that mean? A man of his word. It used to be said a lot more than it is today, but someone who does what they say they will do, they will follow up their promises with action. And it impacts, doesn't it, what we think of people, their name, their reputation, if you are or are not a man of your word. Years ago, I remember we had some plumbing work that had to be done in our house. And you may have experienced something similar in your own lives, but trying to ring up a plumber and he says, well, okay, next Monday. Okay, next Monday comes and no sign of him. And uh, a few days later, and you go, okay, maybe he's forgotten about it. And it's, oh, 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 sorry for next Monday again. And weeks go by and uh, no sign of the plumber. So do you think when I hear, oh, next Monday, I'm going to believe that? No, you're going to be a bit suspect of that. Another promise. Now, he may have had a good reason not to come. Maybe something happened. But doesn't it affect what we think of people? If we promise something and don't do it, it does. It can hurt sometimes. Somebody promises you something and it doesn't happen for whatever reason. But wonderfully, as much as, and I'm sure we can think of thousands of examples, how mere creatures like you and I, we, we let people down, they let us down, but God is not like us. Isn't that wonderful? God is not like us at all. He is holy. He is separate. Verse 25. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now I have brought it to pass, that thou shouldest be to lay waste fenced cities into ruinous heaps. See, God does all these things according to his word, as he is laid out, as Isaiah is delivering here in verse number 21. This is the word of the Lord hath spoken concerning him, spoken concerning Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath spoken, hath shaken her head at thee. And there's a rebuke. And all that the Lord promises he will do, he promises in verse 34, for I will defend this city to save it. Will God do what he promises to do? 
Whatever he says in his word, his infallible and inerrant word, and it's so important that we believe that. That we believe that the truth given by inspiration of God, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Every word of God, God breathed, preserved and kept pure in all ages, that we have confidence in what God is telling us. Because that will affect us if we don't. Because if you have any distrust of the Bible, the word of the living God. Now, in, in, all, in, in, in the Old Testament, as we would call it, it was, there were prophets and they were given special revelation and various things like that. But they also had written revelation. But they had to trust the word of God as we do today. Because God does exactly what he says in answering prayer. He answers Hezekiah's prayer here according to the word of God. You could say he's putting what he's saying on his reputation, on his glory, on his name, on his renown. And when you believe what God says, what's that going to do? It's going to make you confident. It's going to make you bold as a lion. We're feeble. We are but of the dust of the earth. We look at ourselves, we will become cowards. We are, we fail. But God never fails in any way. There's no shadow of turning in his glory. He is wonderful and he is true. So when he says he will do something, he will do it. Why? For his glory's sake. Nothing he does in answering prayer will tarnish in any way his reputation. Now, when we think about the glory of God and to glorify God, God's glory never increases or diminishes because it's infinite glory we're speaking of here. He is most glory. But what we're saying here is God shines forth his glory, pointing toward that glory. And in his word, he declares the end from the beginning. The things which have not yet happened, he will declare it, and then it comes to pass. Why? For the glory of God. And so that we know he is speaking. Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. See how this begins. I am God. There's none like me. That's one of the most fundamental things modern day Christianity has forgotten over the last hundred years. God is not like us. He is not a creature. He is infinite in glory and power and we are finite, limited creatures. And he is different. He is holy, holy, holy. And then in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do it. I will do all 
my pleasure. The Lord has spoken it. It will happen. The Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke the world into existence. So what he says, the answers to prayer will infallibly come according to his promises, according to his word. Now, as we pray, should we not pray according to the promises, according to the word that the Lord has revealed? Will he turn away such prayer? If we pray according to the promises of God, he will not. He will answer and glorify himself because he's worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. God will not say no to such prayers. Our second point this evening is this. So number one, his word. Number two, his wisdom. His wisdom, number two. God shows in the answer to prayer to, that Hezekiah has prayed, his wisdom. And in showing his wisdom, he also shows the utter folly and foolishness and weakness of Sennacherib, Rabshakeh, and the Assyrians. This massive army, chariots, 185,000, this huge army that, humanly speaking, is going to crush them like a bug. But in the way God answers prayer, it shows his wisdom. It shows his wisdom, and it shows the wisdom of a man is foolish. As it says in verses 22 and 23, Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice? This is speaking of, of Sennacherib. And lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel. So we've seen earlier in, in last Thursday that Rabshakeh, with his message that he's bringing, he's mocking God, saying, God cannot deliver you. Verse 23, by thy messengers, thou hast reproached the Lord and hast said, with the multitude of my chariots, I will come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and will cut down the tall cedar trees thereof. See the, the boasting. And we still see it today. Man thinks he can recreate by speaking into existence his own reality. People think that they can change from being something other than what they are. They're rejecting the created order. Some people say, well, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. Or What is that? It is arrogance. You are rejecting the way God has made you. I said, no, no, I will decide who I am. I will speak into existence. And what we're doing when people do that is you're saying, I am taking the place of God. That's what happens in such a situation. And you also exalt your own wisdom above the wisdom of Almighty God. God's wisdom is far greater. Now, the Assyrians are trusting in chariots. We may think, oh, that's, why would they trust in chariots? Back in the ancient world, if you had chariots, you were going to win. 
Usually the other side didn't have chariots. Up until about a hundred years ago, if you had horses, you were probably going to win, especially if the other side didn't have horses. These were the difference. After that, it became tanks. Today, you might say, we have the nuclear weapons. You don't have any. We have nothing to fear. But friends, God is more powerful than chariots, horses, nuclear weapons, or any other weapon that is formed by the hand of man. Far more powerful. Men trust the works of their own hands to protect them. And in the answer to prayer, God answers Hezekiah's prayer. He says in verse 20, I have heard. He shows how weak the Assyrians are. He shows that what they're saying is utter lies. Therefore, their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field. How powerful is grass? And as the green herb, as the grass on the housetop, and as corn blasted before it be grown up. Fear not the supposed wisdom of this world. Fear not the power that they think they have. Imagine, if you will, a man, a small man, and he's fighting against a very tall building. Imagine in the middle of a city and just somebody's almost striking blows at a building. You think, well, that's a very strange sight, isn't it? Okay, he's not, he's not all, something's wrong. Why would he be doing such a thing? He tries to move it with all his strength, with all his power. But of course he can't. And it's foolish to fight against a building. It's even more foolish, friends, to fight against the infinite God. We could even use other illustrations, a mouse fighting against an elephant, but it still doesn't come close to showing the folly, the foolishness of fighting against God, the one who is infinite wisdom, infinite in might, and infinite in power the one whose wisdom made heaven and earth whose wisdom moves the clouds and forms them and tells the the waters to go so far and no further the wisdom that balances and shows the the stars shining in the sky the wisdom that displays all the beauty that we see around us man's wisdom is weak in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 25, 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse number 25, Paul writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God writes this in verse number 25 of the first chapter, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul is not saying that there's any foolishness in God. There is not. But how do you compare the infinite God in his wisdom and his power and his glory to finite, limited man? 
You could go a thousand miles. You could go a million miles in one direction. You cannot escape God. He fills both heaven and earth. To fight against him. To fight against him in his infinite power and his wisdom. Is the height of what it means to be a fool. And that's why in Psalm 14 he says. The fool hath said there is no God. And you actually see it at times don't you. In creatures thinking they can escape God. Adam and Eve when they sinned what did they do. And it seems ridiculous when you read it in, in Genesis chapter 3. Why would they hide? How do they think they can escape God? You read it in Jonah. He thinks he can escape the presence of God. But friends, don't we do the same thing at times? When we sin, we wish to escape the presence of God. We don't act very wisely when we sin. We act very foolishly when we sin. To follow the Lord... His true wisdom. Our third point is his, wit his witness. His witness. So we've looked at his word, his wisdom. Number three, his witness. Verse 30 of our text. Verse number 30 of Second Kings chapter 19. And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And also verse 34, For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. If you read through the Bible, especially the people of God in the Old Testament, they were always so prone to drift. In fact, you could look across church history from the first century until now. What is one of the most common features of the people of God? Drifting away from him. And so many times, humanly speaking, you'd think that the church would have been extinguished by now. But she's not. Praise God. And for a very good reason. Often God's people, the church, various churches have to go through painful lessons and have to learn the hard way how small we are and how great our God is. We fall into sin. We trust idols. But despite our frailties and weaknesses, it is God who maintains a witness to his glory upon the earth. He maintains us feeble creatures, us sinners. Why? To point towards and to witness of his glory. Why does he defend this city for my servant David's sake, for the Lord's sake? For the greater David, it even points toward. The one who would sit upon the throne of David. The son of David, the great son of David, the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ himself. It's, for, it's all for his glory. All these things are done for his glory. God would bring the victory, vindicating the truth before his enemies. That this is the victorious way for a time. 
the enemies of God will think that they've had the upper hand. And even in our own day, I'm sure that they think that they're gaining the upper hand over the Lord and over truth. But will that continue forever? Not at all, friends. Even in time, yes, when the Lord returns, there'll be new heavens and a new earth. But even in this world, the kingdom of God is likened unto a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds. It doesn't remain that size, though. It grows and it spreads throughout the whole earth. In Daniel chapter 2, it describes it as being a rock cut without hands and that that rock becomes a mountain and that mountain fills the whole earth. Why? For his glory's sake. Even in time, the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be victorious over his enemies, placing all of them under his feet until the last enemy, that is death itself, is destroyed. God's glory. It's all for his glory. And the enemies of God will be defeated. And this is done through these wonderful weapons that the Lord has given us. Prayer. Faith. The sword of the Lord that you possess in your hands. See, no no matter the condition of the church, and we must admit it, that the church... And this part of the world is in a weak point compared to other points over the last few hundred years. But it is the Lord who purifies his bride. He loves his bride. He washes his bride. He feeds his bride. And when she is tempted to return to the mire which she's been rescued from, he lovingly brings her back. She will be shown, the church will be shown for the radiant beauty one day in eternity. But we have to, don't we, often learn these painful, painful lessons that idols our lives and we must come to see our lives all about the glory of God and this is how God answers prayer this is the victorious path this is the way that has victory this is the path that has brought them there for David's sake it's so powerful in fact dear friends at verse 32 the enemies of God they will not even shoot an arrow in the city. Therefore thus saith the Lord. This is verse 32. Concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. And the witness of this victory over the enemy will be so spectacular, it will embarrass the enemy. And friends, it is but a taste of what will happen to the enemies of God at the end of the world. But a taste. What happened? 185,000 become dead corpses. 
because those 185,000 soldiers, though they raged against God, though they fought against God, they depended upon God for their every breath, for every heartbeat, for everything good in their lives. They depended upon him and God reminded the Assyrians that they depended on him. And often in history, he will do these things. Bring judgment upon these powerful empires to humble them and to show them who is king. It's not Sennacherib. It's God, the God of Israel. And friends, no matter what is happening in society, no matter what the condition of your community of your family you may have children that have not come to know the lord is there anything too strong that prevents the lord from answering your prayers will it glorify god to answer the prayers that you are asking him will he turn away such prayer See, sometimes we can pray for something for so many years and become discouraged. Is this ever going to happen? And you stop praying. And I've been guilty of this as well. I try to pray for my own parents, that they would come to know the Lord and other people in my own family. Remember this. We're praying, yes, for the, those things we're asking for, but above all else, that God would be glorified. In their lives, his reputation, his name made known. And that they would become, all these people we pray for, become part of this witness that would point toward the Lord. We read in the Bible about Paul the Apostle, John the Baptist, all these people. Why are they there? To point to the Lord. To witness of his majesty and his glory. See, friends, it's not about, it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. He is all powerful, and he demonstrates it here for a witness against his enemies. Our fourth and final point this evening is this his worship. His worship. So, number one, his words. Number two, his wisdom. Number three, his witness. And finally, number four, his worship. Who, who is defeated? Uh, the Assyrians come. They, yes, they do cause distress in Hezekiah. What happens then? Hezekiah then cries out to the Lord. He prays unto the Lord. But who is destroyed? Is it the worshippers of God? Or is it these idolaters? It's the worshippers of God who are victorious. And the idolaters are destroyed. Those who worship God will be delivered. Those who worship God, and we have tastes of that deliverance in this world, but we have been delivered by faith in Jesus Christ. Delivered from the wrath to come. Their prayers answered in Jesus Christ. And again, all these things to glorify God. In verse number 37, 
And this is after the 185,000 are killed, become dead corpses. He, Sennacherib returns. This must be embarrassing. Judah? Really? This tiny little nation against the might and power of the Assyrian army. And then he returns, worshipping his false god. Verse 37, And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer his sons smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. Not the nicest way for a king to end his reign. You see, at the end of the day, God will receive all the glory. Violent, proud men will stand up and may take and attempt to take some of the glory for themselves, but for a season. But God will be seen to be victorious. It is the worshippers of God who are victorious, not the worshippers of false idols. And friends, there's two possibilities here this evening. Are you a worshipper of God or are you a worshipper of an idol? There's no in between. You may say, well, I don't worship anything. I don't serve anything. I, I live for myself. We may think that this verse has nothing to say about any of us. Friends, death awaits the unbeliever, no matter your background. You may not have led an army. You may not be a tyrant like Sennacherib. But you face the same destiny he faced without Christ. Either you worship the true and living God or you will worship. You are just as much of an idolater as Sennacherib. You'd say, oh, it's so ridiculous. How can he worship Nisroch as God? Friends, how can the unbeliever worship his gods? One of the most common gods today is money. The love of money. And the comfort of that we enjoy today. It's a gift from God, but we can turn good things in this world into idols. Do you serve the true and living God? What does it say about idolatry in the Ten Commandments? Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 5. Exodus chapter 20. And verse number five, and this is part of the second commandment. It says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And notice how as well there's a, a, a tying between the worshippers of idols hate God. God is jealous over his honor, over his glory. <clears throat> and his wrath is poured out upon 185,000. You may think, well, well, that's the Assyrians. 
They have a different God. No, no, friends. There is one true and living God that the Assyrians, the Babylonians after them, the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, any empire that has existed upon this earth ought and should bow the knee to the true and living God. Every ruler in this world owes allegiance to God. And every single one of us will stand either before before God naked in our own works, or stand before him clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And how do you know which you are? On the victorious side or the defeated side? The glorious side or the humiliated side at the end of time? Do you worship God? Or do you worship idols? You see... It says in John 4, 24, John 4, and verse number 24, says this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. To be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be a person who worships, loves to worship. And friends, when we go to heaven, when our spirit leaves our body, the body goes into the ground and we go into, into heaven for all eternity, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be worshiping God. We will worship him for all eternity. Once the, the redemption of the body comes. And there's the new heavens and the new earth. We will continue to worship him. And never grow tired. Never grow weary. But always enjoying evermore that sweet union and communion with him. We will marvel at the glory and the beauty of God. Never able, never wanting even to take our eyes off his beauty, off his splendor, and off his radiance. All these things, friends, all these answers to prayer that we see to Hezekiah, to Hezekiah and his prayer, are all for the glory of God. So I ask, friends, do you pray? This should encourage us to pray. Look at this mighty answer to prayer. We serve the same God that Hezekiah served. We serve the same God that Isaiah served. We serve that same God who crushed the Assyrian army who brought such an embarrassing end to Sennacherib. We serve that same God. God brings powerful answers to prayer, both at the time of the Assyrian Empire and in 2024. He brings revival, all for his glory, all for his honor, all to show forth his radiance and his splendor so that we would be in awe of him and magnify him. Have you embraced him? Do you love his glory? Do you cry out to him, seeking that his great and mighty name may be honored and glorified? Amen. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Almighty King, Lord God in heaven, we rejoice in thy splendor, in that radiance that shineth forth 
in which there is no shadow of turning from eternity past to eternity future. Thou changest not. It is because of thy mercies that we are not consumed. We ask, Lord God, that thou wouldst answer our prayer. That thou, that thy great and mighty name would be honored and glorified. That thou wouldst pour out thy spirit upon thy church here in Scotland. Reviving the bride of Christ once more. And Lord, that thou wouldst be merciful and take pity upon this nation once more, as thou hast done in the past. Not only reviving thy church, bringing reform and reformation, bringing us closer unto thee, but also drawing countless multitudes into the kingdom. Thou art able, thou art holy. Magnify, Lord God, thy name that there would be so many added to the, thy church that we would not be able to count, that they would be as the stars of heaven. Lord God, magnify thy word that across this land homes would worship thee, the churches of God would worship thee in spirit and in truth according to thy revealed will and not according to the will of man. O Lord, pour out thy spirit that thy church would witness to thy glory. May we not seek to rob thee of the glory that is due to thy name. Magnify thy word. Glorify thy son. And pardon our many sins, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let us turn once more to Psalm 24. Psalm 24 and verses 5 down to 10. 5 to 10 of Psalm 24, a psalm of David. He from the eternal shall receive the blessings him upon and righteousness even from the God of his salvation. This is the generation that after him inquire, O Jacob, who do seek thy face? with their whole heart's desire. Let us praise our heavenly King. <clears throat> he from Lift up your head. 
Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. 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 <coughs>